You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, good morning, Northway family. Good to see you. Glad you're with us here this Sunday. I'm not quite sure whether to say Happy Halloween, lest that offend somebody. So to the rest, Happy Reformation Day to you, to our, our Arminian or Catholic brothers and sisters, then I'm sorry that that just offended you as well. So happy, happy Sunday, everybody. We are here to worship Jesus Christ together. I would love to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 14, if you will. We are uh, really, this is gonna be part two uh, of Romans 14, part two of a, a sermon that we're calling Gospel in the Gray. Uh, we began two weeks ago and uh, we'll kind of land the plane on 14 this week. And uh, what we're seeing in general, if you're just joining us, is the Apostle Paul is showing us the beauty of what the work of Jesus Christ does, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus that has accomplished our salvation, that has cleansed us of our sin when we put our faith in the work of Christ and not our own. And now after believing upon Jesus, The Holy Spirit comes and makes dwelling within us, within this church. And uh, and Paul is showing now what the role of the gospel, what the role of the Spirit uh, post-receiving faith in Jesus uh, and salvation does now to transform our lives in so many areas. And the area we're looking at in chapter 14 is particularly how the gospel informs us, empowers us, to love one another as Christians when we disagree on areas that are not binding. So there has to be unity and agreement on areas that the scriptures are very clear about, um, namely who Jesus is, how salvation comes through Christ. There cannot be disagreement there. There must be agreement. But what about those areas that the scriptures are just gray in? They're disputed. They're they're non-revelatory. They, they, they don't ultimately have moral binding or doctrinal binding, and there's just room for disagreement. How do we demonstrate our love for one another on what the scriptures call in Romans 14, 1, opinions? Opinions, or as one pastor I heard it say that the Greek word for opinion is translated into English as Twitter. Um, how, do we, how do we agree on areas of conscience, areas of personal conviction in certain areas where one person may have freedom and another person doesn't feel the same freedom and both are seeking to worship God through that conscience. And so what do we do? In Paul's day, the issue was holy food and holy days. There was disagreement on how one was to worship God with the foods they eat. And, uh, and then certain days that they were set aside to worship. Uh, how do these play out when after 1,500 years, you're used to having a, a form of worship of God that comes by abstaining from certain foods that were deemed unclean, um, such as pork or bottom-dwelling fish, whatever it may be that was unclean that the scriptures prohibited to God's people. But now because Jesus has come, Jesus has Uh, accomplished his work through the cross for us. He has brought us into a new covenant with God and no longer are those dietary or ceremonial laws binding anymore. And now they've been lifted. So now you are free to eat any food because all foods have been deemed clean now. But you have an individual who goes, man, for 1500 years, I have never touched pork for the glory of God. And now all of a sudden, 
We're gonna come together as a church where there's a lot of people in this room that have no problem eating pork. It's the glory to God. And a lot of people in this room that have had 1,500 years of that tradition and conviction. How are we gonna love one another in this? And so what we've seen, and while the, the, the issues may have changed, we may not be dealing with holy days and holy food today, but whether other areas of conviction, other areas of preference, how do you vote? Um, how do you, what's your, what's your form of education, homeschool, private school? What about we do about masks or no masks, vaccines or no vaccines, things that the scriptures are not binding on, but we certainly have our opinions on them. How do we engage as the body of Christ? And what we've seen earlier in the first part of Romans 14 is what we're not to do. And now what we're gonna see this week in the back half of 14 is what we are to do. And then even next week, we'll see what the fruit is that comes from this when we serve and love one another as Christ uh, has done for us. And, uh, and again, what, what, kind of a recap of what we saw last week is right here in verse 13. At the beginning of verse 13, Paul gives us a recap of what we're not to do when it comes to these gray areas. When he says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Now, there is room to judge when it comes to binding issues. That old adage, oh, don't judge at one another. I keep reading that text in Matthew. No, there is judgment that is to come, but on issues that are very clearly revealed. But we always need to be humble in that judgment, making sure that we're looking inward at our own selves first before we start passing judgment on somebody else. But what about these gray issues? Paul says, get off each other's backs on these things that aren't binding for the whole people of God. In other words, stop condemning someone who is actually seeking to honor God in a particular area of life that the scriptures have neither commanded nor prohibited, but one is free to engage or free to abstain. And so when somebody lands at a place that is different than you, on these lesser issues, that's okay. Get off one another's back. Stop live and let live. Don't play judge or jury on these issues that the Bible hasn't explicitly spoken to. And instead, this week, what Paul will show us now is instead there's a better way. There's something we can do. And what Paul's gonna do in the back half of chapter 14 here is he's gonna speak. Remember, there's two parties involved here. What Paul refers to as the stronger Christian, the weaker Christian. That's not derogatory terms. It just means the stronger one is one who is more progressed and, and matured in their conscience, that they understand the freedoms that Christ has purchased for them, and they are free now to engage in said thing as unto worship to God. And there are other people, though, who don't have the same conviction. And what Paul's going to do in Romans 14 is speak to the one who has more freedoms first. Um, in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul deals with an almost similar issue in 1 Corinthians 8, but he doesn't use stronger, weaker brother language. He uses kind of older, younger brother language that's there. And I think that's interesting when we frame it from that way. Paul's gonna speak to the older brother first. Now, why is that? Because in any household where you have multiple siblings, the burden of responsibility almost is always going to fall first on the older sibling whose job it is to really look after the younger sibling who's coming up in the way that they did, but aren't at the same place. When you think about it, the, the older you get 
in your age, the more freedoms you tend to have in a household. The curfews are gonna change a little bit. What TV shows you're able to watch or not watch are gonna age appropriate a little bit as you get older. But somebody younger in the house may be at a more restricted place. Now think about it. In the Sumlin household, this is the most maddening thing in our home right now. It is watching movies because we have five daughters. I have one who's in college, I have two that are in high school, and I have two that are in middle school. And where they are at on their viewing restrictions are different, both by mom and dad's law and also by their own consciences. And so what happens is when we sit down to watch a family movie, the most maddening thing is when we pull up uh, or one of our streaming accounts or whatever, and it's, which movie should we watch? And World War III begins to invoke right at this point. Because I have older daughters who don't wanna watch the little kid. They don't wanna watch Baby Shark, 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 or whatever anymore. They don't, wanna, they don't wanna watch the younger Disney shows anymore. They have matured. And so they have certain areas they wanna go into, certain, certain movies. But we have younger daughters who aren't there yet. And if they were to actually be forced to watch a show that is more mature than they can handle, it could actually do harm to their growth process. It could actually stunt them. It could actually hurt them if not careful. And so oftentimes we're seeking unity in watching these movies. I have to implore my older daughters to lay down their freedoms, to lay down their rights of what they're able to watch for the sake of us all being able to be together in this moment and be unified. And it's interesting because in the same way, when it comes to worship, this is essentially what Paul's speaking to. And he's gonna start with the older brother and the older sister first, the one who has more freedoms, and say, you're gonna have to be the one to make the first move if, the thing, if this thing is really about loving your sibling, if it's loving family more than freedoms. You're gonna have to make the decision of what is more important to you, your freedom to watch whatever you want or your love for your brother and sister? Which one is most important? And so therefore, Paul says at the end of verse 13, you need to decide right now to do this as the older brother, the one with more freedoms, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of your brother. That phrase, do not put a stumbling block, is often used in the Bible for not making another person sin, or in this context, impeding their growth process or their worship of Christ. If someone has a personal conviction about something that you don't, one that the Holy Spirit has not yet changed their mind on just yet, uh, when it comes to enjoying a freedom that you have, and you were to then therefore go and force that person to enter into your freedoms, you just might cause them to sin against God in their conscience, even if that said freedom isn't sin itself as defined by the scriptures. But you might lead them to sin against their own conscience. James 4.17 speaks to this issue. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do, and does not do it, to him, it is sin. There is such thing as an issue of conscience. So not only don't judge your brother or sister in these lesser areas, be careful not to put temptation in front of them either. 
if this thing becomes a stumbling block that trips them up in their growth process with Jesus and causes them to be defiled in their own worship. The older, stronger sibling in this relationship is to help clear the path for them to be able to worship Jesus right where they are. And I tell you, for me, I am so thankful. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ at the end of high school, man, I had a lot of things that I was bringing to bear upon the faith that weren't necessarily biblical. Um, And they weren't necessarily heretical. They were just issues of conscience and issues of things that I was unsure about, issues that I know other people in the church had great freedom in. And I'm thankful for my more mature brothers and sisters at that time who were further down the road from me who knew the things that I was so idealistic about weren't necessarily the correct things, but they were patient with me. They laid down their freedoms. They could have sat me down and go, boy, you are so ignorant. If you just read your Bible, you would know. But they were just patient with me and laid down those freedoms to meet me right where I'm at. I'm so thankful because in many ways, it's helped me. I'm by no means perfect. None of us are in this. We all have tendencies to judge other folks and want to flaunt our freedoms but it's helped me in a very young church where the idealism in this church is so strong where every week people are, when are you gonna take a stand on this? When are you gonna preach against this? And issues that aren't always kingdom-breaking issues, but we think they are and don't realize there are other people in this mixed gathering who don't line up. When are you gonna tell people to stop voting Democrat? When are you gonna tell people to stop voting Republican? And and if to go up on some non-binding issue and make a stance where this is an area of conviction that must be thought through, you could end up doing some big damage to other parts of the church that aren't landing at that same place right there. And so we gotta be careful in this. And Paul says something to the older brother though, in verse 14, say, listen, don't get me wrong. My convictions have not changed. And what Paul's gonna do, he's gonna bring back into this equation the idea of foods. Again, some people think, man, I can't eat pork anymore. But Paul understands biblically there's a freedom there now. There really is. And Paul's gonna say, my convictions haven't changed um, uh, in this. He says in verse 14, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. I know exactly where I land on this issue, Paul says. I know theologically it's not the food that makes you clean or unclean, but a heart that is untethered from the Lord that is unclean. Paul says, I know for a fact that the dietary laws have been fulfilled in Christ. I am convinced in the fullness of my freedom that I can eat a pulled pork sandwich unto the glory of God, and it is worship. I know this is true. However, in verse 14, if, if it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean, it's unclean. Paul says there is another side of this as well, meaning if my brother or sister has a conscience or conviction after 1,500 years of not eating pork, that I just can't make that jump right now at this stage of my faith, I feel like I wouldn't be worshiping God right now if I engaged in this, then Paul says, no problem. As long as we're together, if this is a stumbling block in your worship, I'll lay that sandwich down because you're more important than my sandwich because the issue is not about pork here. The real issue is about my love for you. That's the real, and preserving this unity that we have together in Christ. 
But however, when any of us cherishes our personal freedoms, our license in Christ more than our own brothers or sisters, and we just decide in our hearts, too bad, I'm gonna do whatever I want, and you're shame on you for believing like you do. I'm not gonna limit myself over your personal conviction that's not even rooted yet. And so I'm actually gonna do what I wanna do. In fact, I'm gonna try to coerce you to come over to my team right now because this is the right position. When we do that, Paul says two things happen in verse 15 and 16. Number one, we are out of step with the royal command, as we learned about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, to love our neighbor to love our brother and sister. Paul says in verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. It has the idea of one who's flaunting their freedoms in the presence of another who you know doesn't have that same freedom. And you're grieving them in that, then you are no longer walking in love. In other words, you may be right in your theology, but you are wrong in how you're applying it because you're not doing so in love for your own family member. And that's one danger that can come when you flaunt your freedoms. But even worse, there's a second one in verse six, at the end of verse 15, is I could actually destroy my own brother or sister's faith in Christ by running over them. He says this at the end of 15, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Meaning I, I made him or her do something that in their heart they felt was wrong and I coerced them to engage in it when their conscience was forbidding it. And so what happens is they end up compromising their faith, feeling undue shame or guilt that we may not feel. And then they defile their own conscience in their worship of the Lord. And Paul uses a play on words here when he says, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Meaning Christ, Christ died on the cross so that they could live. And you are flaunting your freedom to live and in doing so, destroying them. In other words, you're, you're willing to throw all this away. You're willing to hurt your brother and sister over a plate of food. Like Christ is the ultimate example, by the way, of what it looks like for one to lay down the freedoms they had. Paul said in Philippians, that Jesus did not consider equality with God as something he had to hold on to, but he, he emptied himself. He took on the form of human flesh like that of a bondservant and went all the way to the cross to lay down his life so that you and I could be saved and brought together as the family of God. And so don't take whom, the one whom Christ died for to purchase and now squander that love because of your entitlement to your own freedom. No, he says in verse 16, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, meaning it is actually possible to be right in your understanding of truth and still use it to bring reproach upon your brother or your sister and thus have a testimony that could go out that would actually hinder our witness of Jesus rather than help it. And the crazy thing is, when this kind of division happens in a church over these non-binding issues, Satan is able to divide a church 
without ever using any moral or doctrinal scandal, all he has to use is meat and movies and masks and can sift a church over these non-binding issues. So Paul reminds us in verse 17, and I think this is one of the key passages, key verses in this whole passage, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul pops us up here, 30,000 feet, so we can get an overview of what really is at stake at the church in our assembling and in our fellowship together, what is really at stake is the kingdom of God. And he says, the kingdom of God, it's not about diet codes and dress codes and straining at gnats. The kingdom of God, and this is the only mention of this phrase, kingdom of God, in the entire book of Romans. The kingdom of God, at least in this context here, is three things. Number one, it's righteousness. Righteousness, which we know comes by the work of Jesus on the cross, who has forgiven us through his shed blood, his broken body, through our faith in his works, not our works, but trusting in what he did on the cross, has forgiven us of our sin, canceled our debts, and has clothed us in his righteousness so that we stand holy before God, not because of what we've done or not done, but because of the work of Christ alone. And he has secured that and purchased that and now has, has formed us in that as his body. That, that is the center point. And then in addition to that, peace and joy, two other things, which by the way, are two of the fruit of the Holy Spirit whom God has indwelled us with, these people who are bonded together and where there was once hostility, there is now peace, where there was once the gloom of death over us, there is now life that comes from joy in the spirit that we have together. This is what the church should be relishing in. This is what should be unifying us as a church is the kingdom of God, not these lesser things. We are to be a people who major in these majors and not minor in these minors. We can't over, overplay food and drink to the point that it undermines the kingdom of God. We are meant to be a people who make this our priority. And I gotta tell you, in my uh, experience in the local church and the different churches I've been at, I have known what it's like to be a part of some congregations where there was just a lot of infighting over petty things, arguing constantly over what color the carpet should be. Should we have chairs in here or fixed pews? Uh, should we sing hill song or hymn? Should we, is it one or the other? I mean, just constantly working. I had one guy that came to me one time and said, Shay, people are never gonna take you seriously as a pastor unless you preach in Dockers. And I went, oh God, please help me right now. I'm quite convinced nobody's gonna hear God through your pleated pants right now. So I don't, I don't know where we land on this issue. I was not sanctified back then. Okay, I've grown in that area. I would give grace and charity. But the kingdom of God is not about denim, okay? The kingdom of God is about bigger issues than this. And when you think about the infighting, and today it's so many other issues of politics, who voted for who and who did it, and it's just mass. And I mean, everybody just tearing one another apart. It's no wonder why the church so unattractive to a dead and dying world. The kingdom of God is more than these things. 
And Paul says, rather than spending our days tearing down one another over these petty issues, there is a better witness. And he says so in verse 18. Whoever, serve, whoever thus serves Christ, in other words, whoever serves Jesus in this way that I've been talking about, is acceptable to God and approved by men. In other words, when you and I serve Jesus in this manner, by modeling his love and laying down our entitlements and our rights and our personal freedoms for the sake of another, then everybody gets honored in this equation. God gets honored because we modeled his son's love. And then the people around us, our brothers and sisters get honored because they have been edified by our love for them and their love for us. And so in verse 19 through 23, what Paul's gonna do, he lands the plane kind of in this chapter. He's gonna close out here with a series of exhortations that should mark and define what a kingdom-minded people actually look like. He says in verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In other words, rather than tearing one another down, biting and devouring one another over the sake of our personal freedoms and consciences and the constant elevation of our opinions on lesser issues, what if we actually spent our days as the people of God trying to build up one another right where we are, trying to point one another towards Jesus, trying to model the love of Christ towards one another, so much so that the shalom of God, the peace of God could be felt in this place? What a counter catechesis, what a counter narrative to the world around us right now, if we can walk in this room and see and sense something different than what is being seen on social media these days. People who are so disagree with one another on various levels of things, but come together over what matters in the blood of Christ and actually love and have concern for one another that we would all grow up into maturity in Christ together. And that'd be a beautiful thing. And so rather than tearing down, build one another up. In verse 20, the gain of your personal freedom is not worth the expense of the peace of the church. He says in verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. The work of God is all the links that God has gone to to bring us together. By sending his son Jesus crucified on the cross, raised from the third day, ascended to the right hand of God in order that our hearts and our faith might be drawn unto him to put our trust in him, to be sealed and saved as sons and daughters of God, adopted into the family of God, and now brought together as brothers and sisters. That the work of God, that all the links that he's gone to accomplish that. And Paul's almost sarcastically saying, and so you wanna undo all that over a plate of food, over a, 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 a political party. You wanna do that over dress codes and diet codes. Like really? No, no, when that happens, when we act that way, two conflicting things become simultaneously true at the end of verse 20. When he says, everything is indeed clean, 
but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. In other words, number one, your freedom in Christ is correct. You are correct, but you are wrong in how you've applied that freedom. You've wronged because it has hurt another brother or sister. And so Paul says in the case of eating meat, if the latter is true then, and then verse 21 ends up happening, that it is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that would cause your brother to stumble. The only thing better than your freedom in Christ is your willingness to lay it down for the love of your brother or your sister. Now, I know there's an asterisk here. Um, The elephant in the room, whenever we teach this text, is we're always going, okay, is there a place where this comes too far? When I acquiesce and I defer to somebody else's conscience so much that I might as well, by the end of my life, be living in a cave because I'm afraid to go out for I'm going to offend anybody right now. That's a lot that's what's going on in our culture right now. Cancel culture is so hot, and there's some good parts about it, and there's some awful parts about it, but it has shaped this narrative that's leading everybody just to go silent. I'm afraid to say anything, so I'm going to offend somebody. And is there a place where this goes too far in the church where one's own preferences and their conviction of it might actually... Uh, be hindering the other side of it. And yeah, I think hypothetically, there are some cases where, yeah, I suppose that could, that could happen. And therefore, yes, it is gonna require some wisdom and some humility to navigate this forward. I think some of the instances we do need to be on guard about is one when maybe our younger sibling or what is known as the weaker brother here or sister, um, we need to first ensure with them that the issue they're stumbling over is not one that is impeding their worship of Christ. If it's just a hot sports opinion, hey, I don't like the color purple, and when you wear that, it really offends me. Okay, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to talk this one out, okay? Because we're gonna get into some levels where just every single thing that offends you has become offensive to me. And so now we're gonna see who's offending you. We're gonna have to work that one out. But we're talking about an issue that actually might be hindering a brother or sister in their worship of Christ. And when that happens, then we just need a guard to make sure that, yeah, that that one, that opinion never crosses over to doctrinal issues, that this becomes some form of legalism where this thing is earning or meriting you righteousness that Christ has already purchased for you. Yes, we'll need to disagree and break on that one. Uh, or secondly, when all the younger siblings' uh, convictions, they want them to be binding on the entire church. And so when we cross that line to where your particular preference, we need the entire church to change over this one preference, and we're gonna have to work that one out as well. But in general, we're talking about a brother to a brother, a sister to a sister, a brother to a sister, vice versa, where we are able to sit down and actually, out of love for one another, hear the other's concerns if it becomes something that is impeding their worship in their presence and be willing to lay that down. And so what Paul does in verses 22 and 23, these last two verses, he speaks to both siblings to the one who has more freedoms, to the one who has less freedoms. And here's where he will affirm them. He'll say this in verse 22, the faith that you have, and he's speaking to the older brother here, the one with more freedoms, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. It's a good thing. Your conscience is a good thing. And blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. In other words, enjoy your freedom. 
that you see and perceive you have in Christ as a mean to keep worshiping King Jesus. Your conscience is free in the Lord and praise God for that. There is no need to waver in your convictions. You don't need to have some sort of false guilt or false shame for the freedoms that you have. Employ those unto the glory of God. The asterisk that's in there though is just be willing to lay it down for the sake of your brother or sister when needed. And that's okay. And likewise to the younger sibling, Paul says in verse 23, you keep your conscience too. You don't waver either in yours. Whoever has doubts is going to be condemned if he eats because the eating is not actually from faith. You're doing it for another reason. You've been manipulated, peer pressured. You're not doing it out of your sincere conscience. You're violating it. And therefore, whatever does not proceed from faith, Paul says, is sin. Meaning, The very thing that you're engaging in when you have a conscience not to, that may not be sin, but you're doing it against your conscience is sin. And it goes back to James 4 again. He who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so be careful about engaging in something that the Holy Spirit has given you a check on. And so we need to learn to love one another. When we hit this impasse, and we will as a church, There's no way we're gonna have this many people in a room and not have a lot of different convictions and opinions on a lot of different things. Let's just make sure that we're major, we're unifying in the majors and we're laying down our rights where we need to for the sake of another brother or sister. Now, let me give you a few takeaways on this. Um, You know, and I I will say, I I see Augustine's truth here when he says, in essentials, let's have unity. In non-essentials, let's have liberty. And in all things, let's have charity, love for one another. But what do we need to do about this? Can I give you uh, four quick takeaways that I think uh, the Lord has put on my heart for me and for us as a church here? Now, there is a lot more to be said on this. I've already mentioned a couple elephants in the room. Everybody thinks we're right in here. Everybody, by the way, every one of us thinks we're talking about somebody else right now. Um, We all, oh yeah, they need to hear this message. Yeah, I was right all the time. You need to lay down your, no, 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 no. This is for you. This is for me. Um, And there is a lot more application here. And I encourage if you're in a gospel community or any sort of gospel community, gospel-centered community with your family or your roommates, take some time this week. Chew through this. Ask some hard questions. Um, Reason together. But I would say this, first of all, one, you and I, based upon all of Romans 14, we need to biblically own our own convictions. That's a good thing. Verse five told us that. We need to own our own convictions. That means you're gonna have to study. You're gonna have to dig into God's word. You're gonna have to pray. You're gonna have to use discernment. Let's not let the hot sports opinions of our day, our Twitter feeds or the latest and greatest books and podcasts and articles that you just read today, be the main things that are forming your convictions. We need to allow the word of God and the spirit of God to guide us on the things of God. And we need to allow this to form us more than anything else. And we need to then form a conviction for ourselves, for you. And that's a good thing. Which by the way, let me just say this here. Sometimes a person has a conviction that they should abstain from something or engage in something. And it's not because they're weak or they're younger or they're immature. 
Sometimes it's quite the opposite. It's a very seasoned saint in the Lord who has a conviction not to engage in something that they would biblically be permissible to do, but they abstain because they have done the hard work of discerning the Spirit's voice and word through God's counsel for them at this season in their life. And that's okay. That is good. Honor that conviction as unto the Lord. We need a conviction that God the Spirit has given us and that we would hold to it for the glory of Jesus and the good of others. That's a good thing. Second though, you need to be patient with others who don't quite see it the same way as you do. You need to be patient. Uh, We are all in process. None of us have arrived yet. And so all of us, by God's grace, you are today uh, not who you were five, 10 years ago. And by God's grace, five, 10 years from now, you won't be who you are today, then. We are all growing in the Lord. So let's be stage appropriate with our grace towards one another in this process and be patient with one another. And out of that third, let's love our brother and sister more than our own opinions, more than our own convictions. You don't have to be right more than you have been called to love the family of Christ. And if you are the one who has more freedoms and area of conscience into the Lord, then I, I think in this passage, we are called to make the first move if that's you, to lay down those rights. Peek real quick, look at chapter 15, verse one, where we're gonna be next week. Notice what Paul begins with. We who are strong, it's older brother here, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. This can't be about self-gratification. It's about loving one another to the point of laying down those freedoms when we need to. And if you are younger in this, if you're one who has more restrictions and constraint right now, and I don't really feel good about engaging this, it's not, it seems like honoring the Lord to me in a non-binding gray area, that's okay. Be careful not to judge your older sibling for being a flaming liberal uh, because they wanna wear denim and they preach in, okay? Just speaking for a friend. Um, Let's love our brothers and sisters more than our opinions. And lastly, what I would say is together, together, Northway Church, let's spend our days seeking first the kingdom of God with one another, trying to maintain unity around the things that are binding in Scripture, rather than trying to always make an appeal for uniformity in the things that are not binding. Let's seek the kingdom of God first. Let's be careful about what it is that we are broadcasting, by the way, that is merely opinion. And I'm speaking to our social media feeds right now. We need to be careful. I don't know if anybody's ever given you permission, and if so, let me give it right now. You do not have to advertise your opinions, contrary to popular belief. The things that matter, righteousness, the kingdom of God, herald them, go to the death form. But the things that are non-binding, You don't have to advertise those and you don't have to blast those who do. We can live and let live on those areas. But we need to seek together uh, this kind of unity around the kingdom of God. If you're able to take your social media feed and see all you have is rants on things that are really not holding up the kingdom, or if you were to survey the conversations that you've had from the past couple of weeks and all they are is hot sports opinions, on things that Christ didn't come to purchase us from, then maybe that's a check engine light that we are enslaved to our own freedoms and pride 
than we are to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's lay that down for the love of one another. I would uh, commend one book to you that I think would be helpful. Um, Don't form your convictions on it solely. Uh, Use the word of God for that. But I will tell you, there's a book called Conscience. Conscience by Andrew Nacelli. And uh, the subtitle is What Your Conscience Is, How to Train It, and How to Love Those Who Differ. And the whole thing is based out of Romans 14. I would commend it to you. But church, let us be a people. Can we, but can we grow in this area? Is this a needed thing for the church? Y'all, we could have spent the last two years just in this chapter on repeat every week, and it would have been good for us. But let us build off this. Let us take these words from the Holy Spirit penned by the Apostle Paul and let us apply them for the glory of Jesus Christ, the good of Northway Church and the witness to a world that is watching us right now. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text again. Thank you for the gentle nudge to my own soul about prioritizing what the kingdom prioritizes. It is a good thing to have conscience and conviction. Oh Lord, would you grant us the grace and the charity to actually reason together, to come to the table and reason together, even on the areas where we disagree. And that's a good thing, but to do so with humility and grace towards one another. But God, would you be so kind by your Holy Spirit and grace afforded to us to continue to preserve the unity at Northway Church around the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and the joy and the peace that you have purchased for us and provided now by the Holy Spirit. And I pray this for the glory of your name and the good of your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.